0: is the word of the Lord for this morning. Um, I want to uh, actually start in uh, a couple of like uh, places. First of all, I want to let you guys know that that second song that we sung, uh, is something that's actually on the back of the reading list and everything. So if you want to learn that and be singing it throughout the uh, week, we're going to be singing it all or most weeks this uh, uh, during this Christmas season. So what we're trying to do is partner together really, really great theology with uh, an old hymn that runs deep into our veins and that we get to gather on Sunday mornings and actually sing that out loud from something that we've taught our kids. Uh, so I want to make that announcement. Uh, the second one is I need you to join with me in the Word this morning. There's a lot of text here, not just what was read. We're going to go all the way through chapter 8, verse 20. We're not going to go verse by verse, praise God, uh, but what we are going to do is uh, be sending these verses out, especially longer passages, uh, sometime around Thursday or Friday of each week so that you know and you can read uh, when we're going to be in a longer passage. You don't rely just on me to be able to hit uh, each and every word, uh, but that you're coming prepared for that as well. I've got a question for you this morning, and that's this. Do you remember the first thing that you were afraid of? The very first thing. Maybe it was a a person or a situation. Maybe it was something that was like seared into your mind. Uh, For most of us, I'll bet it was darkness. I bet it was the dark. We were afraid of the dark. It was uh, so there was something about the unknown, the something about uh, a potential danger that just uh, told our hearts even before we really knew how to understand what we were being afraid of. Darkness. There's something there. I know and remember that uh, as a little kid, I used to be able to jump from so far away from my bed, like onto the bed, so that I wasn't like able to be gotten by something out from underneath that bed. I don't know if any of y'all had that pathology, but I did. Uh, I don't still do that, so I can attest to that. Uh, I don't still jump onto the bed, but I'll bet that there was something about darkness that was a fear of yours when you were really really little. There's something about it. This last week, um, we... uh, I was talking with the discipleship group guys, the guys that are in my discipleship group, and we were talking about uh, things that we fear, and as a culture and society, the things that uh, we're afraid of, and what we came to really understand is is that uh, we really have a lack of imminent danger that we face today. In our geography, in our place in history, uh, we just don't have some of the same things, and this is going to connect in with uh, what Isaiah is actually about and everything, but we're, we, at our place in time, are not constantly afraid of some other country coming in and like decimating our people we're not like worried about like uh, building a house and then that house getting torched like six months later because i don't know you know the barbarians came in and ransacked the place like we're just not we're not attuned into that kind of fear that's not to say that we don't have fears as a society it just means that there's something about that that you know just Isn't quite real and so something about like those unknown from early ages kind of stokes fear But it's it's probably not quite the same way today for us. We're not afraid of the darkness We're not afraid of the barbarian hordes coming in and taking over We're just not we're not experiencing that kind of fear, but we are experiencing some kind of fear There are things that people have to fear in other parts of our cities and other countries that we don't and that's a blessing but that doesn't mean that we lack fear. That The lack of danger has left us maybe in a place where uh, we have other fears. And honestly, uh, the lack of like more kind of like top-level fears kind of leaves us in a place where maybe as a society we're getting a little soft. I don't know if you feel this way. Uh, I feel this way. I feel this way about me. Have you heard of Safe Spaces? You can nod if you have, Uh, like colleges and universities and businesses are actually setting up places called safe spaces where you can actually avoid ideas that you disagree with and uh, things that make you uncomfortable and find places of comfort. Uh, Have you actually seen like a picture of some of these rooms? Like places with like uh, adult teddy bears, like life-size teddy bears and things I'm not even meaning to make light. I'm just saying, like, these are things that really actually exist, safe places. And I, I'm, I'm not sure that it's all that great for us. I think that maybe there's something in that that we give up a little bit that we shouldn't. Maybe curiosity. Maybe just at, at college campuses, a little bit of intellectual curiosity. I remember uh, when I was in college, I actually went to a debate Uh, And I went to the debate because I disagreed vehemently with both of the people that were there. You might even be familiar with one of these names. I went to a debate between Jared Taylor. Yeah, I went to that debate. Between Jared Taylor and a guy named Jose Angel Gutierrez. And I went there because I disagreed with both of them. In different ways and at different levels, just so you know and you're curious. But I I went to both of those. Now, you might be like, I don't understand either of those people. I don't know why that would be a big deal. Let me tell you why it's a big deal. Jared Taylor is a white supremacist, a real deal white supremacist. And he uh, was actually there to try to convince people as part of his debate strategy that you should also be a white supremacist. And Jose Angel Gutierrez, uh, a person that was actually a member and founding member of La Raza, Unity Party, uh, way back in the day is known uh, by some people as a civil rights leader but known as others uh, as uh, a person that like promotes uh, Mexican heritage in a way that uh, is even racist, some people call racist. So this was a big deal to go to, I mean, you had to actually get patted down, full pat down, go through to go to this debate. I was just curious. I wanted to hear and see. I honestly wanted to see the car wreck. That's what I was really after, to be honest with you. But there's something about it. That's not a safe place. I didn't feel safe walking into that room. It was like there was, there was a heightened bit of emotion there in that place. There was something that I was a little bit afraid of. And I've actually seen some of just that, like, softness that I was mentioning earlier eke into the ways that, like, we communicate. I mean, me, too. We talk about people as safe places. Have you ever used that term to describe that? that person's a safe place for me? Have you ever uh, talked about a, a a place as a safe space? When I'm here, I feel I feel safe. That's that's not bad. It's a good thing. But what we're communicating is is that like that there are people that probably don't intend us violence that just have like an emotion that we have an emotional struggle with at some level that just don't feel safe to us. And I've seen that kind of eke into the ways that we even communicate. And I understand what's meant by it, and I've expressed these things myself, uh, but it does have something to say about the things that we fear. So if you got caught up in some of the intro here, what I want to say is all of that tells us something about what it is that we as human beings fear, and Scripture actually has something altogether altogether different to say about fear. What are the most common things that the Bible has to say about fear? You probably know Is it fear not, right? Do not be afraid. Angel shows up, bright light, you know, like terrifying. And what do they say? They say, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Time and time again, we're told not to be afraid. Our Savior, Jesus, says uh, for us to ca- cast our anxieties on him, knowing that he cares for us. So the Bible actually has a lot to say about fear and tells us not to fear. But then confusingly, if we can be honest, it also says something else. It says, fear the Lord. In fact, in one notable place in Scripture, it says, Don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear God, because He can kill your soul, right? Like, it, it's kind of a weird thing to be told, Hey, fear not, but fear me. What's meant there? What is it that we're, what is it that God is after in these places? So you would be, like, even just after this intro, uh, able to ask the question, like, well, is City Church a safe place? Like, it sounds like Chris is saying, hey, we don't need to create safe places. Like, is City City Church actually a safe place for me? And what I want to answer is yes and no. Yes and no. For the meek, for the humble, for the victim of assault, for the widow, for the orphan, the answer is unequivocally yes. Grace to, the, grace to the humble. That's what we're after here. We want to provide a safe place. Also, also, for the boastful, for the prideful, for the arrogant sinner, for the predator, for the perpetrator of evil, is this a safe place? Yes. Yes. Ah, I, I tricked you. Yes, it is. It is. Th- this church needs to be a safe space for people that are sinners, but it does not need to be a safe place for sin, for continued unrepentant sin. So this can be a safe place for you, but it's not going to be a safe place for sin. We aim, actually, at City Church to mortify and to kill sin. So if you wish to hold on to your sin, then City Church is a desperately dangerous place for you. I want you to feel a bit of danger for your sin in this place. But why? Why? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, says Mr. Beaver, Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, even in this children's book, even in the Chronicles of Narnia, she gets it. Aslan's a lion? I thought he was a man. I thought that he was nice and easy. I thought that I could be comfortable around him. And Mr. Beaver goes, no, no, he's a roaring lion. He's dangerous, but he's good. That's what we're after here at City Church. We want to be near that lion that is dangerous to our sin, but it is oh so loving to the humble. That's what we want here at City Church. So, what are, we, what are we to do? You, you may not be afraid of the darkness anymore. You may be a full-grown adult, and the darkness just isn't something that, is of, uh, something that makes you fear. But here's what I'll bet. You may not be afraid of the dark anymore, but you likely do fear in times of darkness. You may not be afraid. You may not be jumping on the bed. But when you're in seasons of darkness, maybe right now is one of those times for you this is a time that you might be fearful because of this time of darkness so what then shall we do this is where we pick up in Isaiah chapter 7 through 8 uh, through chapter 8 verse 20 and this is what its message is to you this morning if you're a note taker this is what we are headed at this is the primary point of this passage it is be firm in your faith in the face of fear be firm in your faith In the face of fear. And this is the message that God actually gives through his prophet Isaiah to Ahaz, the king of Judah. That's the message. That is the primary message of what? Be faithful. You need to be faithful. You need to be firm in your faith so that you can face fear. That's what he's telling to King Ahaz. But he's also saying it to us this morning how does he do that he does that by asking three questions by us asking three questions really of the test that is what are you afraid of we'll ask that of ahaz what are you afraid of the second question is who should you fear and the third is how do i be faithful how am i faithful amidst fear how can i be faithful amidst fear the first question what are you afraid of we're going to ask it of king ahaz and of the people of judah who is ahaz again ahaz is the king you, we read it just a few minutes ago ahaz is the king he's the king of judah judah is this small remnant of god's people that was still there still in jerusalem still faithful when the kingdom actually split into israel so this is actually a confusing place to pick up in scripture because it talks about israel actually mounting an attack against judah or wanting to at least and you go whoa whoa whoa, whoa hold on what Israel's the good guys right that's god's people not at this time at this time you had judah this faithful remnant and you had israel ephraim you had them separated from the kingdom of god they'd actually stepped out now they're actually trying to make war but judah is the tribe of god this faithful remnant and ahaz is a king and he's part of this line of david that's going to be very important as we start to look at this advent season Ahaz is a king directly from the line of David. And in verse 2, it says this. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people, I love this uh, just illustration, shook as the trees of a forest shake before wind. What were they afraid of? What is it that they are afraid of? Ahaz, what are you afraid of? You're afraid of getting conquered. You're afraid of these two other kingdoms, Syria and Ephraim or Israel getting together, plotting against you to actually take you out. That's what you're afraid of. If you're King Ahaz, if you're the leader, if you're the one charged with trying to keep uh, Israel or try to keep God's people in Judah actually safe, you're afraid for your life. You're afraid for the lives of your people Reason, the king of Syria, had teamed up with Pekah, the prince of Israel, to wage war on Jerusalem. He says this in verse uh, 6, or they say this, this is what is accounted for. Let's go up against Judah and terrify it. And let's conquer it for ourselves. Let's even set up Tabil as king. Now, is Tabil a person from the Davidic line? Is he even like an important person? He's not. I can tell you this. He's like a puppet king. They're wanting to go up against Judah. They're wanting to dominate Judah. They're wanting to take Judah apart. And they're wanting to put a fake king in. And they're wanting to rule over the people of Judah in unkind ways. And that is what they are afraid of. These men, these uh, Pekah and uh, the king of Syria, reason. Uh, they were terrorists, and they were terrifying, verse 6 says, terrifying God's people. But, verse 1 says, they were not able to yet mount an attack against it. So let me ask you this. We asked the text, what are, th- what are you afraid of? They're afraid of being decimated as a people. Is that a legitimate fear? Let's like, try to like, you know, just empathize a little bit with Ahaz, because he's not the good guy in this story. Let's em- empathize a little bit and go, that is a legitimate fear. What if they do come? What if they do conquer? This is a time where the Geneva Convention did not exist, people. If, if somebody came in, likely what was going to happen is they were going to kill all of the men, and they were going to do unspeakable things to the children and to the women there. That was what was going to happen to Judah. There's nothing protecting. No international law. Nobody's going to roll up in a, a a white, you know, Toyota Land Cruiser and try to put peace back. The United States isn't going to come in and bomb someone. Nothing. None of that stuff's going to happen. Okay, they're alone. They feel alone, and it's just a small national remnant. And Ahaz receives this word that they're teamed up against him, and this leader that's charged with the safety of his people realizes that they're in grave danger. And here's what I understand about this, that there's a difference between wanting to be a leader and doing leader. He's fearful. He's afraid for his people. Now let me ask you a question. In the midst of this legitimate fear that they are afraid of, do you think that God's going to stand for these threats or violence against them? Well, of course not. He's God, right? But do you think he's going to stand for the fear that made their hearts shake that's another legitimate question for us today. God speaks to, uh, through Isaiah to King Ahaz in verse 4. He says, be careful, be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. God's words are reassuring, but it's not exactly a pep talk. He doesn't come in and reassure King Ahaz's self-esteem. He doesn't come in and tell him, hey, listen, have courage. You can, curse, you can beat them. You can go out there. Here's, he doesn't even give them like a, a plan for how to defeat these other kingdoms. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, don't be afraid of them. That's what he's saying to King Ahaz. That's what God is saying. Don't fear. So while he may not be giving them a, con, a, a pep talk, he may not be coming in and appealing to their heritage by saying, hey, don't forget whose you are. What he is saying is, don't forget who I am. What are you afraid of? God's saying, don't don't fear. Because you don't need to forget who I am. Verse 7, thus says the Lord, this is Isaiah, it shall not stand. I I mean, if that doesn't like call to like uh, memory, like multiple literary references, it shall not stand. That's what God's telling uh, uh, Ahaz is he's saying, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. My son, the other week, we were working on, like, all of the different types of sentences. There's, like, the intero- uh, interrogative sentence it's a question. There's, like, you know, all these things. What kind of sentence is this? Look at it with me. What kind of sentence is that? Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. It is declarative. God is declaring this over people. Hear this this morning along with King Ahaz. Evil kingdoms won't stand. Sinners who threaten my people, God says, will not stand. The darkness will not stand. Praise God. So then what do Ahaz and the people fear? They they fear death and annihilation. The question for us this morning is, what is God asking us? Saying, what do you fear? What is it that you're afraid of? Now, here's what I want to do this morning. You, you know those, like, old-timey, like, inkblot things where you, like, just, uh, you, you, like, do the inkblot, and you open it up, and somebody's, like, you know, in counseling, and they say, oh, that looks like a butterfly. That looks, that looks like my dad. You know, like, that's what it's supposed to do. What I want to ask this morning is, like, what do you fear? What do you fear? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's the darkness that's like laying on top of you this morning? What is it that you fear? And then the question that I want to like, you know, try to go back into is not just like, what do you fear? It's what is God actually going to help us understand about that fear? He tells us not to fear it. You go, oh, that's great. That's just like one sentence. That's easier said than done, right? God tells us not to fear What do you fear? God says, don't fear that thing. But this also serves as a warning for Ahaz and the people of Judah. Do you get this? Like when I ask you, when this text asks us, what do you fear? Ahaz, what are you fearing? And then God says, don't fear that thing. There's also a word of warning in here about the things that we fear. God tells us not to fear, but this serves as a warning for Ahaz and the people of Judah about what it is that they are fearing. So the second question this morning is not, what do you fear? It's who should you fear? If Ahaz and Judah fear the wrong thing and let the wrong fear lead them astray, uh, astray, they are in just as much danger as these other kingdoms. That's what we're going to find out. This is a word of warning to Ahaz and to the people of Judah. Verse 9 says this, look at it with me. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. If you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. This is where I'm actually getting the first part of our primary point this morning is is that you need to be firm in your faith. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. And if that sounds foreboding to you, remember these previous verses where God says, their faithlessness, their faithlessness, the faithlessness of Syria, the faithlessness of Israel, will not stand. So what makes us think one moment later that if we are not firm in our faith, that we will stand also? God has just said that Syria and Israel and Assyria, that'll be coming here in just a moment, will fall for their faithlessness. Judah, if you are faithless, why would I allow you to stand? God is saying. He's calling them, be firm in your faith. Trust in me. So I asked you just a moment ago, like, hey, what is it that you're afraid of? Now I feel like the question that that kind of lets its way into, the question that we should be asking ourselves in the midst of all of this is, do we feel like in the midst of our dark season, when we're surrounded by on all sides, just like Judea is, that God is calling us to be faithful? Of course, the answer is yes. Yeah, God's calling us to be faithful in times of darkness. I get it, Chris. Let's go one, one step, one, just one more rung, one more fathom down and say, how is God calling you to be faithful in the midst of that darkness? How's God calling you to be faithful in the midst of the things that you're afraid of? How's God calling you to be faithful in the midst of your darkness? That's a real question. Write it down. Talk about it in your discipleship group this week. How is God calling you to be faithful in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your fear? See, what's happening here is Ahaz is considering an uh, alliance with Assyria, and he's actually going to end up literally paying them the gold of the temple. He's going to go, I'm afraid of these two kingdoms. I need another kingdom to help keep me safe. I don't have the men. I don't have the resources. I don't have any of the stuff to fight these two other kingdoms. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my trust in something else. I'm going to take the temple gold, and I'm going to give it to the king of Assyria, which is different than Syria, and I'm going to ask him to keep us safe. That's what he's considering doing, and that's what he ultimately ends up doing. And God not only graciously told him not to fear, he also told him that these other countries that he could possibly put his faith or fear in, they're not going to stand. That's what he's already told him. God is being gracious to him, telling him that. And, And then to go one step further, God is even more gracious, and he offers him a sign. Look at verse 11 with me. What does God do? He says, ask for a sign, any sign. Make it up. What does he say? Look at it. He says, ask for a sign. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven, and I'll give you the sign that you are going to survive this. Ahaz, I'm going to make this so simple for you. You just ask for any sign, as deep as death or as high as heaven, God, the, God's promising him, I'll give you whatever sign you need. How many times have you been like, man, I don't know whether or not to go to this college or this college. I wish that I had a sign. I don't know to marry this person or remain unmarried. I wish that I had a sign. I wish that I knew uh, which church to be a part of or how to express these gifts or what occupation to, pr- uh, to pursue. Uh, and you just go, man, it would be so easy if God would just give me a sign and God's going, Ahaz, ask for anything. Deep as death, high as heaven, I'll give it to you. Just be faithful in me. And Ahaz passes. Ahaz passes. He's already made up his mind. He's not going to put his faith in the God of this universe. He's going to put his faith in alliances and money and politics, not God. And he even goes about the like hard work of making it sound spiritual, right? Look at it with me there. He makes it sound spiritual. He goes, hey, listen, I'm not gonna ask for a sign i'm not gonna put you to a test god's like no wrong move i just told you what i wanted you to do i told you that i wanted to give you a sign i am extending this grace to you and he says i don't even have the faith just to grasp that little bit that sign that i could use right now not even gonna like take hold of it you're not you're not a god that needs to be put to the test you don't i don't deserve a sign or maybe it's just that he just didn't want one. I wonder if that pings you at all this morning. I wonder, sometimes I wonder if I got the sign. If God spoke to me in a vision, how would I react? Because if you look at scripture, it's not altogether clear that you're going to receive that sign and go, it's all clear now. I'm totally faithful. It's not that simple. Ahaz makes a big mistake. Then Isaiah as a prophet of God, he says this in verse 13. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God? It's not our God anymore. Judah, it's not us as a people anymore. You're forsaking God. Is it too little that you weary men around you? They're all tired of you, by the way. That's why they're going to crush you. That's what's happening here. And it's not just that you're worrying them; you're worrying my God, also. Isaiah says. What follows in the verses, and this is where we can't do it, and you should go back and like read it. Is like just Isaiah's prophecy about all of the desolation that's about to happen because of this faithlessness. There's a lot of stuff that's about to happen. The the thousands of vines that helped provide food and sustenance—they're all going to be taken up by you know bramble. The only thing that's going to be left is. A few cows to give milk and some bunnies. Uh, sorry, sorry, some bees to give honey. Not bunnies. Uh, that's mashup. Weird mashup. Um, that's what's about to happen. The, the some like bee of Syria is going to come, and you know the flies of Egypt are going to come and make home. Uh, really, all that you need to know. It's about to get real dark, real fast for Judah. It's about to get real dark, real fast. Because God's about to discipline Judah. That's what follows this faithlessness. What God is actually saying is, is that uh, uh, they don't need to fear a threat. They don't need to, uh, no alliance is going to help them, no enemy. But the right fear that we should have is the righteousness of a God who is wearied with his people. So, yeah, what, what is it that you're afraid of? Who should you be afraid of? It's not your enemies. It's not the alliances. You shouldn't be putting your trust and faith in those kinds of things. You should fear a righteous God who is wearied by distrust in his people, faithlessness in his people. That's what you should be afraid of. What are we afraid of? Who are we afraid of? How are we to be faithful amidst fear? How are we to be faithful amidst fear? See, providentially what's happening is is that this remnant that's left, okay, this Judah uh, Judah that was going to be, you know, kind of this remnant of God's people is about to get even more remnant-y. I mean, it's about to get real small. It's just going to be Isaiah and his disciples. That's what's about to happen. How can that group of people be faithful amidst fear that they have to have? Providentially, Isaiah helps us understand just this point, and this is where we're going to be in verse 9 and 10. He, he invites us to listen to that answer. He even says, give ear all you far-off countries. Maybe he's speaking to us. He's just saying, pay attention, because God's about to pour out some you know, discipline on his people. And then what does he say? How to be faithful amidst fear. You can take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. It will not stand For God is with us. He uses those words, I think, very specifically. God is with us. How can you be faithful amidst fear? Because you can know that God is with us. Anybody who wants to pay attention, from Ethiopia to the Caucasus, anywhere in between, if you want to know, God is with us. That's how you can be faithful amidst fear. Isaiah is just giving this preface your faith must be in God even when there is imminent danger. Now what I want to do is uh, read verses 11, um, and, and we'll, we'll stop here in just a second, but I want to read uh, verses 11, at, probably at least through 20 for us. Notice the title there in your Bible is likely, Fear God, Wait for the Lord. That's what ultimately is going to uh, be the primary message here. For the Lord spoke to me thus, that's Isaiah with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not call fear what they call fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. That's where we're getting this. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary for you. Do you understand what's happening there? Let him be your fear, then he'll be your sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, and they shall fall and be broken, and they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. This is where it gets good. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents. Do you know what a portent is? It's like a sign of like foreboding. They're going to be, this, uh, this group of disciples along with Isaiah are going to be signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when you say inquire of the mediums and the necromancers, now that's not a word that we use very often. These are people that try to communicate with the dead. Okay, so when, when, if you're tempted in the midst of your fear to go try to find prophecy out there from some like fortune teller, from some like palm reader, from somebody who's able to communicate with the dead— Listen, I don't know if any of that stuff, I mean, I know that there are spiritual, maybe some of that stuff is real, but what he's saying is, if you're tempted in the midst of your fear to go to those types of people, who should you be paying attention to? And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living, to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak, According to his word, it is because they have no dawn. What what does that sound like to you? What does it sound like is happening there in verses 11 through 20? Uh, Here's what it sounds like to me. It gives us the roadmap of faithfulness amidst fear. Verse 12, look at it there. It says, do not fear what the world fears. Have no fear. Why would we do that? Because we're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of another kingdom. Don't fear the things that the world fears, verse 12 says. That's the first kind of uh, place on the roadmap, the first waypoint of faithfulness amidst a time of darkness and fear. The second one comes in verse 13. Why do we not do this? Because of God's holiness. Let him be your fear, and he will become your sanctuary. Don't fear what the world fears. And then if you put your fear in the right person, if you put it in God, he will actually be a sanctuary for you. Isn't that kind of paradoxical? If I fear God, he actually becomes the place that I want to hide. If I, if I give uh, God my, uh, my devotion, my respect, if I consider him as being awesome and being worthy of fear, I can find my place of hiding in him. I can find the light in him. I can be taken away from the darkness. That's what it's saying. Because of his holiness. In verse 16, it says this. It says, bind up the testimony... Seal the teaching. Do not look for knowledge among the mediums and the necromancers, the fortune tellers, and the people that communicate with the dead. Verse 20 says, to the teaching, to the testimony. It's the battle cry of people that are amidst darkness. If you want to wage war, not against Syria or Israel, if you want to wage war against God's enemies, against your enemies, against your fear, to the teaching, to the testimony. That's what these verses are saying. They're saying you can have a sure thing. In this holy God, you can have this sure thing by not uh, being afraid of the things that the world is afraid of, and then you can be assured, you can be faithful amidst darkness by following the teaching and by following the testimony. We just talked about that as a church. Here's the truth. I didn't even plan that. We started looking at Advent, this is where we were going, and maybe the primary point of this text is not just how you can be faithful in the face of fear, it's that at the end of the day, you need to find the teaching and the testimony of God. What is it that we're looking for? We're looking for a revival of joyful worship here at this church. How are we looking to do that? By entrusting God's word. That's what we're doing to the teaching, to the testimony. That's what we're doing. We're going to the teaching and testimony of God because that is how we can face everything that might cause you to be afraid. That is fantastic news. We can have a sanctuary. We can learn where that sanctuary is to the teaching and the testimony, City Church. That's where we're headed. That's what we're holding on to. That's what we're doing. It's our battle cry to the teaching, to the testimony. It's almost like you, you hear like, uh, like superheroes in that. It's like, to the Batcave. Like, this is where we're going. We're going to the teaching, to the testimony. That's what we're doing. I just, I can't say it enough. That's what we're going to do at City Church. If you're a part of an event here, if you're a part of a discipleship group, if you're on a walk with ladies, if you're having lunch with people, if you're meeting with an elder, if you're walking in through this door, I want you to know something. We're going to the teaching. We're going to the testimony. We're going to entrust the word of God to make and grow disciples in truth and in hope and in steadfast. That's what we're about. We trust God's word. Remember what God has said. Remember his word of hope. Remember his salvation. It's found. In the teaching and testimony but let's let's be honest like that's still kind of ambiguous to the teaching and testimony what is the teaching what is the testimony what is the teaching and testimony that isaiah is actually talking about right here come back to me i know that this is like tedious we're like like working our way through a chapter and a half of pretty dense stuff here we can be honest about that if you trailed off here's where i want you to come back what is the teaching of testimony? What is it that Isaiah is pleading for us to have our hope in? What is this teaching and testimony which produces steadfastness of faith in the face of fear? What is it that helps us be steadfast in faith in the face of our greatest fears? Here's where I've got to thread a needle, okay, guys? We've got four more gatherings for Advent. And there's a pretty pretty famous verse buried in here that if we just go all the way deep, we'll, we'll just be reciting the same thing like in the coming weeks. It's about, do you see, you, you recognize, right? If you were reading the passage and everything, you saw where it was that is just like, So I need to find a way for us to like see the gospel so clearly in this, but also see it distinctly and differently from where we're going over the next couple of weeks. So come and follow me here. The hopeful teaching and testimony has been laced throughout Scripture all the way up to this point with King Ahaz and Isaiah and what he says to King Ahaz in verse 14. The Lord has offered to give a sign as deep as death and as high as heaven. When Ahaz rejects God, when he is faithless, Isaiah says, all right, look, here's what we're going to do here. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a pretty famous verse. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Here's what I need for us to get this morning. In this time, okay, this time, there's some lifting that's done in this verse that like happened at that time, but then happened also for the future. We're going to talk a lot about the future over the coming weeks. What I want to talk about right now is this verse. How would somebody have read this in that day? And the truth is, they would not have read it the way that we read it. We read, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be God with us. And we see this virgin, you know, the word virgin there, and we go, how did they miss it? how they missed it. In, in Isaiah, four other times, I think four other times, four or five, there are, there's a word that's specific to like virginity, like a, an actual virgin. It's a, like a technical term. This is not that word. This is Alma. I believe it's Alma, and, and this just means a young girl, a young girl of marrying age. So the people that would have heard this in this time would not have gone God's going to give us a sign and there's going to be this virgin that bears a son and his name is Emmanuel. Here's what I'm getting at. If you want to cut through all of this, I don't think that the virgin birth is the sign that God is giving for these people at this time. Now, Matthew and Luke, they connect it differently. They, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, they help us see what's actually happening in these verses. But at this time, the sign is the name. The sign is the name. It's not the virgin birth, it's the name. Why does that make a difference? Why does that make a difference? Behold, the virgin shall conceive, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. The sign is not the virgin conception, it's the name Emmanuel. How did they miss it? It was because the the word was different. It's just, it's a different word. The name, on the other hand, has a meaning, and it means God with us. God with us. And if you read that and go, that's very hopeful. It's because you're reading it now. This was not meant as a hopeful thing to Ahaz. Ahaz was about to disobey God, and the presence of God with us had a different tone to him. So there's two things that's happening here. The God with us, the Emmanuel, meant one thing to Ahaz and and, and the people of Judah that were not being faithful, and it meant something totally different to Isaiah and the disciples that were following Isaiah. Let's explore both of those. For Ahaz and the unfaithful, God with us meant judgment because God judges unfaithfulness. See, what happens here is is that Ahaz is told there's going to be a baby that's born, and it's going to represent judgment to you, and before that baby knows good from evil, before they can say, mom or dad, all of these kingdoms, all of them, including you, big trouble. That's what God with us meant. God God with us was like, should have been terrifying to Ahaz. If he heard, God's coming, it's like, daddy's coming home. If, If you heard... If you're disobeying and God with us, like, you know, that's a terrifying thing. If you're a little kid in this room and you're disobeying mom and she says, dad's on his way home. This is not, that's what's happening here. Ahaz is literally hearing judgment, discipline coming. It's on its way and it's on its way for him. But for Isaiah and the disciples, God with us means something totally different. For this faithful remnant, it means that, hey, Things are about to get real bad. They're about to get real dark. But but there's one coming. Salvation is coming. God is coming. And for Isaiah, you can tell that he takes this as hope. He even mentions that in these last verses, like, for those who reject God, there is no dawn. Let's go with the positive side of that. For those of us who see God with us is coming, there's a dawn for you. That's what Isaiah is thinking. He's thinking things are about to get real dark for Ahaz and all of these other people in Judah. But for us, for us, for the, us and the disciples, God with us means that we can have faith and expect salvation. The sign of God with us is that fearful and foreboding for the faithless, but hopeful for those who trust God. We will pick up on this child and the miraculous birth over the next few weeks. But what I want to do uh, today is just, uh, is just remind us of where, what we've learned today. We are to be firm in our faith in the midst or in the face of fear. We're to be firm in our faith in the face of fear. But how does that apply to me today? How does that give you hope? How does this apply to us when we face our fears Knowing that God is with us can help us be firm in our faith regardless of what circumstances we come. Because I'm willing to guess, there are a few people that I know that have faced real violence and real danger. Okay, so I'm not going to minimize that. For most of us, we have not had to live in the midst of a society where at like any moment it could be like catastrophe. The the closest thing is maybe for some of the older people in the room, just like this kind of, not vague idea, but this distant idea that like, a nuclear holocaust could have happened during, like, you know, the Cold War. Like, that's probably the closest that it comes for us. But for us, it's, it's more personal than that. Our fears are much nearer to us than that. Maybe they're sitting waiting at Christmas for you. Maybe they're in your memories of someone who you've lost. Maybe they're in feeling like you just feel so isolated. Darkness is just set into your life and knowing that god is with you hearing that god is with you knowing that in this season when we say oh come oh come emmanuel we really mean that god really can be with you he is with you jesus makes a promise to you do you know this he says i will be with you even to the end of the age we don't feel that all the time i don't feel that all the time but he promises us that he is with us even till the end of the age. And then at the end of that age, we're going to be with him, right? That can help us faith, be firm in our faith. Remember when, uh, when Isaiah says, be firm in your faith, or you will not be firm at all when God says that actually to Ahaz? What I'm asking you to do this morning is to be firm in your faith Regardless of circumstances, because being firm in your faith is a steadfastness that walks with you through this life and into the next. Even though I walk through the sh- valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There's there's this uh, Jewish Russian guy named Nathan Sharansky. He was actually a chess player. He's really famous in Russia in the old Soviet bloc. He was very famous. And he became a dissenter. They threw him in the gulags. And he realized that even though he was a Jew, he was a secular Jew. He didn't believe in God. He didn't know uh, any of his own language. But he, the one thing that he did have was a copy of the Hebrew Bible. And he knew that as a chess person, as a mathematician, that he could figure it out. He could, he knew that he could figure out Hebrew. That's nuts. Um, but what he did was he went to Psalm 23. He went to this verse, and the first thing that he translated from it, the first thing that he figured out is, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He even wrote a book called I Fear No Evil. It's a really great book. If you ever get the chance to hear him talk about it, it's really amazing, because something about that verse spoke to him saying, hey, listen, if God is with you, regardless of your circumstances, even if you're sitting in a gulag, there's comfort for you. For us, it's all the more because Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. We have much more nearness to him. If he is with us in the dark, if he is with us in the valley of the shadow of death, we can trust the teaching and testimony. If he is with us in the dark, if he is with us in the valley of the shadow of death, we can trust the sign of Emmanuel, God with us. Because Emmanuel was the sign. Do you get this? This is we're ending on this, okay. Emmanuel was the sign that was as deep as death and as high as heaven. Okay, I'm going to say that again because I mean there should be like lights that are like flickering and then lighting all up for you. Emmanuel, God with us, is the is the sign that is as deep as death and as high as heaven. We, We get to in this season of celebrating Emmanuel. We don't just get to celebrate the virgin birth. That's, that's the thing that will take center stage or at least a portion of it over the coming you know, weeks and everything. But we together as a group of people actually get to look at this and say, man, Emmanuel is the sign that was as deep as death because Jesus had to come. He had to be crucified. He had to die. He had to go into the tomb. But it's not just as deep as death. It's as high as heaven. Because it's not just as deep as the crucifixion, it's as high as the resurrection and the ascension to the right hand of God. The gospel is not just that God is with us in darkness, it's that he endured that darkness for us. The gospel is not just that God is with us in Jesus' resurrection into the light, but that we will be resurrected too. The sign of Emmanuel is that God is with us. The promise of Emmanuel is that we will be with God. You see what happened there? The sign of Emmanuel is that God is with us. The sign is that we will be with him, but the promise of Emmanuel is that we will be with him. And that's where we're going to end this morning. God and Father, we thank you that you are a God of all creation. Lord, that from the very beginning, from the fall, you are trying and, 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 and desperately seeking salvation for us. But, Father, our hearts are sinful. That sin pulls us away. It causes us to to fear all kinds of things from all kinds of other kingdoms, Father. We know this. But we also know that you want to be with us. We know that you give us a sign in Emmanuel telling us that you will be with us. And for those of us who are faithless, it sounds foreboding. It sounds like death. But God with us, to those people who put our trust in you. And Father, we desperately want to be those who put our faith in you for salvation. Know that God with us means that Jesus came to be with us so that we can be with you. So Father, would you allow for us during this Christmas season to believe that and believe that with all of our hearts, Lord, to know that Emmanuel is the sign, the hope, the steadfastness, the truth that we can rest on, that we can share with others. Father, I pray that you would allow for us to worship you in the midst of all of this with great hope, knowing that you are the one that accomplishes salvation for your people. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time together. And we ask you that our songs would rise to you as an offering pleasing to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.